Good morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, before we start. Matthew 5, 17. You get there, let us pray. Father God, we thank you for being God. And just for allowing us to call on your name, God. For without you, we can do nothing, God. Help us to know it. Help us to trust it. Open up our eyes. Give us understanding, God. Teach us who you are and how we ought to relate to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew 5, we continue with where we was last week. We're talking about our relationship to the law. Like, how is it that we relate to the law? What is it that we... How is it that we're supposed to view it? And last week we went through a whole, whole lot of scriptures and did a little wrestling. And just to keep these points in mind to help us understand that when we're talking about the law, we understand that the law, whatever our relationship to it is, it cannot justify us. It cannot make us right with God. It cannot put us in a right standing with God. And it can do nothing in and of itself to elevate our relationship with God. So however it is that we view it, when we talk about the the commandments and, and the things that God laid down through Moses, we cannot go to them for something that enhances our relationship with God. That's foundational. It cannot be debated, cannot be disputed. So if you think by putting a little shawl over your head or putting little tassels on your clothes, that somehow you're going to have a, a greater intimacy with God that the people who don't do those things have, you don't understand the law. And we talked about last week how one of the purposes of the law is to reveal sin. That's the reason God sent it down, to make sin sinful and to show us our flaws and to show us how evil we truly are. And Paul highlighted in First Timothy, he said that the law is not for the righteous, but the unrighteous. Which created a question for us. Like if the law ain't for the righteous. But the unrighteous. How do righteous people know how to be righteous? Legitimate question. One we probably going to answer next week. (laughs) And the last point we ended off with. Was that. Over and over again. Throughout the New Testament. We get this same refrain. That all of the law. All of the commandments. Everything from Moses to Malachi can be fulfilled in love. And that creates another question. Do we trust Jesus more than we trust our own understanding or those around us? Because either Jesus' words are true or they're not. Because it's hard to understand how just by loving, you can do all of them what they call the 613 commandments that laid down in the first five books of Moses. Like, how does that work? Like, what does love got to do with not cutting the corners of your beard? That don't seem to make no sense. But it puts us in a position of who do we trust? Because Jesus said you can fulfill all of them. Paul went so deep to say, he quoted the Ten Commandments, then he said any other commandment that is there in the law. Like, whatever one you can come up with, love fulfills them all. So who do we trust? Do we believe our own understanding more than we believe God? And this takes us to a deeper point. Because when we look at Paul, 
he would gain to be accused of a grave thing. And it's like Paul is teaching people not to obey the law. And that's the biggest trouble he got into. And let's look, when we look at the words of Jesus, that can be a dangerous thing. Because that's what people charge against us church folks, us Christians. Matthew 5, 17, he says, not, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not to come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, to heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, to all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed that the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is going to be our springboard probably for the next two weeks. Jesus puts out some deep things, but the basis, I did not come to destroy the law. That's his statement. Don't think it. Don't get it in your mind that I came to get rid of, to loosen, or to just break down the law. It could be translated in all those ways. Right? Don't think I came to relax the standards. That's one way you can take it. I ain't come to relax or to loose it. I came to fulfill it, to bring it to its fullness. Or the way the King James translator take it. Don't don't think that I came to do away with it, to destroy it, to break it down, to make it null and void. That's not what I came to do. So whatever our understanding of the law is, when we look at Jesus, Jesus' words has to be true. So it is not something that we can just kick out of our Bibles and rip it out and say it it does not matter. Because Jesus said he ain't come to do that. There's not a piece of it that's going to pass away. He said until all be fulfilled. Now that's what we're going to stick on for a minute. That get a little tricky because what does he mean by till all of it be fulfilled and that shows us that Jesus has an understanding of the law that goes beyond just deeds as he said now one piece gonna pass away till all of it be fulfilled when we think about laws and we think about regulations we don't think about nothing being fulfilled we just either you do it or you don't do it and it's gonna keep on going on and you have to keep on doing it until you be expired. The law going to keep on going. Either to somebody change it or to you done away with. Like when we leave, that little 65, 70 sign going to still be on that highway. And you can't drive it all the way and say, like, I completed the law. Now they can take the sign down. Like, I've done it. There's, there's no more need for a speed limit sign. It has been fulfilled. <laughs> that don't seem to make no sense, do Like, no, no, we did it. So what does Jesus have in mind when he talks about till all of it be fulfilled? Like, there's not a piece that's going to pass away till it all be fulfilled. And this is what we're going to wrestle with to try to expand our understanding of what the law is. Go to Luke. Let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 verse 11. It says, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there have not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That's a beautiful verse. 
And from the days of John the Baptist unto now, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied unto John. And if you will receive it, this is Elias, Elias, which was to come. Now, Jesus puts a lot into these couple verses. But we're going to zone in on, on the last little bit. Saying, John the Baptist is the greatest. He's the greatest what? Prophet. And Jesus says, since Moses all the way up and through John the Baptist, the law has been doing what? Prophesying. So when Jesus thinks about the law, he connects it with the prophets. And the same thing that John the Baptist was doing in the mind of Jesus, that's what the law does. The law been prophesying ever since Moses. Go to Luke. Luke chapter 16. It's another time Jesus said the same thing. We're going to drive this point home because it's pivotal. Luke 16 verse 14. Saying the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and they derided him. So this is Jesus talking about riches. And they got mad at him and started talking about it. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were unto John. Since that time, the kingdom of heaven is preached, and every man press it into it. So Jesus makes this connection. He's getting on these folks. Y'all covetous. You got evil heart. God know your heart. And you exalt these things that don't come from man. But the law and the prophets, you didn't have these things until John. But since then, the kingdom of heaven is being preached. So what he's saying is that what we have in the kingdom of heaven is a continuation or something that goes beyond, beyond or brings forth what the law and the prophets were talking about. So there's a connection between the law and the prophets. There's a message that they had that the kingdom of heaven now, the gospel of Christ, picks up this message and takes it on. So Jesus has an idea of the law that goes beyond just, you better not do this and you better do this. He sees in it something that connects it with the prophets. And not only connects it with the prophets, but it's the beginning of what we have in the kingdom of heaven. Because the kingdom of heaven picks up the kingdom of the gospel, the kingdom of the preaching of Jesus, picks up where the law and the prophets leaves off. So there's a connection there that goes beyond just, don't do this. You better do this. Go to John. John chapter 1. Well, since we're in Luke, go back to Luke. Luke 24. We'll stay in order. 24, 24, This is Jesus speaking. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now this is Jesus giving one of his final Bible studies. And it's a supernatural Bible study. Now he's Jesus cheap. But 
pay attention to what he said now. This is coming off the resurrection. He's been raised. He's hanging out with his people. It's like, this is what I've been telling y'all all this time. And the things that I've been telling y'all, I've been telling you, and I've done it so that everything that Moses, that the prophets, and that the Psalms prophesied about could come to pass. Then he said, then he opened their understandings that they may understand the scriptures. So he gave them a supernatural understanding of the scriptures. The scriptures meaning all the law, all the prophets, all the Psalms, and they could see the things concerning himself. So when Jesus thinks about the law, he see more than just regulations. He sees prophecy. And he saw his life being foretold and all the reality of who he was being fulfilled when he lived just based off what Moses said. So when we understand the law and as we walk through these things, we cannot be bound by pure regulations because Jesus don't have that understanding of the law. He see himself when he reads it. And more than see himself, he see prophecy when he reads it. And he began with Moses and teach them everything concerning himself. So he preached the death, the resurrection, and the life of Jesus starting with Moses. But all we can get is debate about whether or not we can eat a ham sandwich or not. We need our minds and our understanding open. Because the law go beyond it. You better not do this and you better do that. Because Jesus has this expanse understanding of what he means by law. Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 43. John 1 43 said, The day following Jesus would go forth into Galilee and find it Philip and said unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found it Nathanael and said unto him, Strange words. We have found him of whom Moses in the law, in the prophets, did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip seems to understand this. When he understand who Jesus was, and he started bragging on Jesus, he said, we found the person who Moses was talking about. So when he looked into the law, when they studied law, they saw Jesus. And it built an expectation of a Christ, of a Messiah. And when he come telling people about Jesus, I'm telling you about the one that Moses was talking about. And we have to have this expanded view of who Jesus is and what it is when we're talking about the law. Go to John chapter 12. We're going to walk this all the way down till y'all believe me. <laughs> John chapter 12 verse 33. That this he said, signifying what death he should die. Talking about Jesus. The people answered him, we have heard out of the law that Christ abides forever. And how sayest thou the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Now Jesus telling them about his death and what's going to happen. And they come to debate Jesus. Like you, you can't be the Christ. Because Moses taught us that the Christ is going to live forever. Or they said we heard out of the law. Now, this gets a little spooky and it gets a bit deep. Because when we look back to this, the closest reference that we can see in our understanding nowadays that they can quote back to that say what they said 
is Psalms chapter 89. And some of you may look at it, put in there, um, 2 Samuel 7, when it talks about the son of David and his throne lasting for forever. But it's hard to find a reference to this in Moses. But they said we are instructed out of the law that the Christ shall abide forever. So when they're reading this law, there's some usage of the law that expands beyond just them first five books. And it's make reference to the reality of the scriptures and the things that are being taught because they are congruent whole. And so when we think about law, we can't just confine ourselves to these distinct regulations. We have to have all the scripture in mind when we wrestle with these things. Because that's the way Christ saw them. That's the way, the, the word that I don't like. See, back in Bible times, <laughs> see, in the Bible times, <laughs> they understood law to be more than regulations. They understood that law had some predictive aspect to it, and it foretold something dealing with Christ. And it was conclusive of all the revelation of God. It wasn't separated out. Now Moses' thing was great. And Moses is like the foundation of all history. Now everybody who know anything about anything has to have some reverence for Moses. This is a dude who God told about the thing that nobody ever saw. How the world started. This dude had a lesson from God like, hey, let me tell you something. <laughs> it was a long, long time ago. There was nothing around here. You look around, see all this stuff. Well, none of this here. You got an elementary school lesson from from God. Nobody else got that that we know of. This dude got to talk to God face to face, and a little bit of God got on him, so people couldn't look at Moses. This dude was hanging out with so so close with God that God got on his body. Dude walking around shining. And it wasn't no rap metaphor. He was literally shining. <laughs> this is a special dude. And what he says carries some weight. He's so special that God wrote a book for him and let him take credit for it. <laughs> God was his ghostwriter. Came up to the mountain, finger of God, Wrote it down. Moses come. And now we talk about the law of Moses. God, Moses ain't write that law. God did. <laughs> and God don't even get embarrassed. Jesus referred to it as the law of Moses. It's special. But we cannot confine this speciality to where we get into debates about things and not see the full picture. That this law go beyond just telling me what I can and cannot do. It tells me who God is. And it tells me something about what is to come. And we have to see all of that when we look at it. So our mind has to change in our understanding of the law. Go to John 15. John 15 verse 20, 24. Say, if I had not done among them the works 
which none other did, man did, they had not had sin. But now they, <clears throat> but now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this come to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without cause. This is Jesus still again coming down the same path. They have a law. And the things that is going on in my life and in my reality is a fulfillment of the things that was written in their own law. They hated me out of the cause. They did that so that their law could be fulfilled. And so when we're wrestling with the law, let's see, can we see what it is that Christ saw? And that's prophecy. And that's an understanding of the revelation of God and the works of God being manifested in the world. He saw something that could be fulfilled. So when we go back to Christ's original words, and when he's saying that I didn't come to destroy the law or to get rid of it, but not a piece of it going to pass away till all of it be fulfilled. We have to have an understanding that goes beyond just that Jesus is going to do some of that stuff. Because that's what we think. Like, okay, he, he did the sacrifices. And now we don't got to worry about that because Jesus completed that. There's a whole bunch of other stuff in there. And he said, not a piece of it going to pass away till all be fulfilled. And we done broke the thing up. And we got parts that can be fulfilled because they predictive because that's the sacrifice. And the only reason we say that is because we can't do that stuff no more. And then we got parts in there that come to us. You know what I'm saying? And that's the moral law. That's the stuff that we got to do. Then we got other parts that, that talk to the nation as a nation. And that stuff can't nobody do because we ain't in no theocracy no more. So God snatched that whole part out of the Bible. If what Christ said is true, that can't be snatched out. Because he said not a piece of it going to pass away. So all them ceremonial joints that they got is just as valid as what we would term the quote-unquote moral law. And it's just as valid that we would term the sacrificial system. But we done broke Moses up. Moses ain't tell you about no three parts of the law. Nowhere in scripture do you make a reference to the moral law. As it's something different than the rest of it. Where we get that from? Some dude made it up. And it sounds good. Because they had to justify their understanding of the law. Since I don't want to do that. I can't do that. This seems good. So we just going to put this little piece in here. And even them same deep dudes. That going to stop you on the corner. And tell you your black man. You the true Israel. They do the same thing. Now they're going to tell y'all church folk, y'all pick and choose. You pick what parts of the law you want to obey. And you can tell you, y'all fake Israelites, y'all pick and choose. How they pick and choose? Because when you talk to them, they talk about three, four little things. It's 613. And how we keep having the same conversation about three, four little things. Y'all go to church on Sunday. Y'all eat ham hocks and chitterlings. <laughs> and you wear them mixed clothes and you cut your beard. Okay, I, that's all they got to tell you. And you can be, be deep. You won't mess up folks' mind. Like, when are you supposed to pray over your food? What, Mo, what Moses say? 
You ain't never heard, you ain't thought about that. Cause don't nobody have that conversation. Ain't nobody call you out like, see, you prayed for your food before you ate it. Moses said, after you eat, you give thanks to the Lord. <laughs> that what Moses said. Ain't nobody stopped you who did that. See, y'all church folks, y'all pick and chew. Y'all don't follow Moses. You over here praying for your food before you eat it. Where that come from? Moses ain't teach you that. You ain't never had that conversation, did you? That's because they don't read them laws. They just follow to what the people told them what's going to make them deep and what those church folks don't do. Like how many of them Israelites I told you, have you seen buy a ticket to Israel and go three times a year? I never met one. It might be some out there. But them dudes who be stopping you on the street to try to make you feel bad because you eat a ham sandwich, I guarantee you they ain't went. And if they did go, they wasting their time because what they going to pray to? Ain't no temple. Even the, the deep church folks, who going to tell you? I'm saying we, we need to pay your tithe. But they go before the law of Moses. Like Moses started in Genesis chapter 1. Moses wrote all that. <laughs> I don't know how you get before Moses. <laughs> Let me see what for Moses. <laughs> Title page. <laughs> That's the only thing for Moses. Moses started in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. That's Moses. But they're going to tell you, you need to pay your tithe. And tithing is go beyond. And it's all this deep principle stuff. Hey, y'all, we, we can, okay, if I obey the law of the tithe, I got to go to Jerusalem once a year, get all my tithes, buy whatever my soul desires, and have a feast. I just need to make sure I feed the orphans and the widows and whatever poor folks I got. Your church ain't going to tell you that because they ain't trying to follow that. And when you go to them deep Sabbatarian Christians, they ain't going to tell you that because they just stuck on this one day. And they don't, don't let nobody shame you or let nobody put you down. And see, you go to church on Sunday. See, Sunday, that comes from the worship of the sun god. And they have flipped this thing up. So by by forcing you to go to church on Sunday, they're forcing you and, and manipulating you to, to worship in the sun. And that sound deep. See, you're going to get even deeper. And, 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 and see, the Antichrist is going to be one who thinks that he can change times and seasons and change the worship. Who did that? See, the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church changed it and they put it on Sunday. See, that's the Antichrist. But let me get even deeper to you. Now, Donald Trump, the Antichrist, and he working in part with, 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 with the Catholic Church. Because if you pay attention, they're going to make a mandatory Sunday law. See, now the coronavirus is starting all y'all scared. What Donald Trump did? Y'all don't even know. See, you're being deluded. He made Sunday today a national day of prayer. See, he's trying to force everybody to worship on Sunday. People say this stuff. They be like, dude, man, dude, deep. I ain't even think about that. <laughs> Aaron got me stuck. Huh? <laughs> Shoot. Shoot, man, oh, no. <laughs> Like, man, shoe black. Y'all need to change shirts. 
Because we, we can't be worshiping no sun. <laughs> we got to worship Jesus on Saturn's day. It's like, hold up, now it's the same thing. All of them got fake God name. <laughs> so do we worship Saturn? Because back in Bible times, <laughs> one of them said thing is Saturday or Sunday or Monday or Tuesday, any of them things. That's a whole nother conversation. Because <laughs> back in Bible time, let go to Acts. I'm sorry, y'all let me get off. I was going somewhere. <laughs> Acts chapter 24. Yeah. I'm going to answer that. Acts 24. Uh, verse 10. Acts 24, 10. So then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answer for as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do more cheerfully answer for myself. Because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues, nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But I confess unto thee that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Now this is Paul's testimony. As they're accusing him of denying the law and converting people away from Moses. But his understanding, he say, I believe Everything that is written in the law and the prophets. And it is in this way that I worship God. Then he even goes to his belief in the resurrection of the the just and the unjust. He's saying I get all of this from the law and the prophets. So when we read Paul and we understand that he's talking about we're no longer under the law. What we cannot understand is that he means we just kick that stuff out. And we, we just start at Matthew and that's the only piece of the Bible we need to read. He cannot mean that because he said that he didn't do that. So I believe everything that is written in the law in the prophets. The whole thing, he, he believes. it. And so if we follow Paul as he follows Christ. We should be believing the whole thing that is written in the law and the prophets, every aspect of it. And we can't allow anybody to, to take it away from us. In the sense of it don't count. Oh, then you saying you just ignore that Paul. You skip it. Oh, he said he believed all of it. And so he sees all of it as relevant to his understanding and his worship of Christ. This dude preaching the resurrection of the just and the unjust from what we call the Old Testament. Go to Acts 28. It's Paul again giving testimony. Acts 28 verse 22 said, we, be, we desire to, to hear of thee what thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning until evening. So this was Paul's Retirement. Like he chilling. 
waiting for his day to come before the Sanhedrin to be tried. It's like everybody that came to him said he was persuading them concerning Jesus out of the law and out of the prophets. So Paul saw Moses as a tool that can preach Jesus. Just as effectively as he saw Isaiah and Jeremiah and all those other things. So he had the same mindset that Christ had. And then Christ started at Moses all the way through all the prophets and the Psalms and everything and preached himself. Paul picks up this same thing. He ended his life chilling. And every time somebody comes to him, he opening up the book. Start with Moses, using the prophets, and he preaching Jesus. So when we go to what we refer to as the Old Testament, when we go to the law, we should some way, somehow see Jesus. Not just a whole bunch of rules and regulations that don't relate to us. Because that's what they saw. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Go to, go to John chapter 5. Well, before you go there, go to Hebrew. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Now, this is going to be tricky. Hebrews chapter 7. We'll start at 11. We might dive deeper into this next week. It says, "For if, if therefore perfection were by the Levites, or by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What for the need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe on which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who was made not after the law of carnal commandment, but after the power of endless life. For he testified, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh unto God. And as much not without an oath, he was made priest. Now, this is a complex little piece. Like I said, we're probably going to walk through it next week. But in this, the writer of the Hebrews is given a very strong argument. Paul uses the same argument in a different way. And if we grasp it, it informs our way and our understanding of the law and what we refer to as the Old Testament. He's saying that the Levitical priesthood, the priesthood that was established under what we call the law of Moses, It could not bring perfection or completion. And he said, we know this. His argument is, we know that it could not bring perfection or completion because after Moses gave the ordinance for the priesthood, God gave a promise for another priesthood. And it's like, since the priesthood changed, there is a necessity of change of the law. And this is his argumentation. That what we know, the Levites and those laws, those commandments 
were connected to the Levitical system. All of it centered upon the Levites in the priesthood. And he's saying since after that, God gave a promise of another priesthood that shows us that in the mind of God, the law is going to change. Because you need the Levitical priesthood to do the law the way that it was originally put forth. But that priesthood is going to be done away with because he's bringing another priest that has nothing to do with Aaron or the Levites. Y'all understand? That's his argumentation. So since God made a promise after he gave the priest the priesthood of another priest, that means God got a whole nother plan in mind. That's the argumentation. Paul uses the same argumentation in Galatians chapter 3 when he talks about since God gave the land to Moses, I mean to Abraham, off a promise, when the law came, their surety of dwelling in the land was connected to their obedience to these rules. You got Deuteronomy 28 and all those things that connected them, even in the Ten Commandments. You honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land. So he connected their abiding in the land to their obedience to these rules. But God had already promised the, that his next, <clears throat> that his seed would abide in the land before he gave the law. He gave it through a promise to Moses. I mean to Abraham. So when Moses comes connecting all these punishments to it, the question becomes, does that make God's promise null and void? Because God told Abraham, your descendants going to get this land, and I swear on God, they're going to get it. That's what God said. On God, they're going to get it. And I'm going to give it to them. 400 years later, he bring Moses and he bring the people out. And he's saying, y'all can have it. But y'all better do everything I tell you or I'm going to take it away from you. And so the question becomes, does that a works obedience makes null and void the promise that he gave to Abraham? And if their disobedience can undo the promise, God lied on God. Because he didn't give no conditions. The only thing that he gave to Abraham was his word that this was going to happen. So if they can undo it by disobeying him and all of the promises to Abraham become null and void, God lied on God. But God can't lie on God. Because when you put it on God, you better be serious. And that's what he did. So that means there has to be something that transcends the laws that he gave and put all these curses and blessings to it. And what the conclusion Paul reached, that it was the promise that was previously given. So the promise supersedes the law. But does that make the law null and void? That's That's the conflict that we run into. Because God told Moses they got to obey to get it. He told Abraham they just going to get it. So does Abraham make him he, like, was he just talking nonsense then? It's like you get one of them lazy, tired parents that don't feel like doing nothing. They be like, hey, y'all make one more sound. I'm going to come in there and I'm going to whoop everybody. And everybody, shh, 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 be quiet, be quiet. You get that like one little bad cuz that they're gonna do what he gonna do. He boom, bust his head up against the wall. Then mama say, 
Now don't y'all make me come up down here. You said, okay, she was just, what, what y'all young folks said? She was just capping. <laughs> she wasn't gonna go up there for real. Is that what we can say about God? Like when he connected all these curses to the law and said they ain't gonna get the land and they ain't did nothing he said. Now all them folk back in the land talking about their Israelites. You like, be like, man, God was just lying. Because they couldn't even get the little extra thing he put in because he gave to, to Solomon prayed for. Solomon prayed that God, if you take us away, if my people humble themselves and pray and turn towards this temple, then please hear them, have mercy on them and bring them back. Ain't no temple for them to turn towards. Jesus prophesied that that thing was going to be towed down and not a stone was going to be left upon another. That's why I don't know what they're praying to when they're praying to that wall. Now, when you see them people on TV doing all this to that wall and all that stuff, if that is a piece of the temple, Jesus was alive. Because he said, I ain't going to be not one stone standing on top of another. That's what Jesus said. So I don't know what they're praying to. But they ain't got nothing to do with that temple. Because I believe Jesus more than I believe them folks on CNN. <laughs> I'm just saying. I believe him. John Hagin, my boot, dude. But I don't know what he's going to when, he, when they put them little prayers in that wall. That ain't got nothing to do with the temple. Jesus said that stuff going to be destroyed. So I don't know where they get them stones from. Because <laughs> that wall still standing, Jesus lied. Jesus can't lie. But that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> so this is what we got. That the law has a prophetic element to it. And in it, it's contained the message of Jesus. And that when we go to it, we cannot simply be bound by rules and regulations that just regulate the way in our patterns of life. We have to put all those things into it. So we, we got a couple of different things, and we're going to end this thing. Watch this. We understand that the law cannot justify. That's not what God gave it for. That all it can do is show us how sinful we are. And it's to instruct the unrighteous to see their sinfulness. There is a prophetic element to the law that must be fulfilled and it cannot be done away with until all of it is fulfilled. And if we see any aspect of it that has not been fulfilled, we can't deal away with it. Because not one jot or one tittle going to be passed away with it. Christ saw himself as the fulfillment of those things. And if we get love, we do the whole thing. That's where we're starting at. Let's drive this thing. Because we're going to see how in the world we're supposed to know what to do if we ain't got to look at the law to get it. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Just run a little change. Galatians 3. We'll go to 20. 21. 321. It's hard to pick a place. Just start. Say, is the law then against the promises of God? And we were talking about earlier. God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law. Shut up unto the faith which should afterward be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we should be justified by faith. 
But after faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So this is Paul's idea. Man, that the promise supersedes the law because the law wasn't made to give righteousness. And Paul keeps making the same thing. He's connecting righteousness to something that we get. And the law can't give it to him. That's a whole other subject. And his conclusion is, so the law came as a schoolmaster. So the law is a teacher to do what? Lead us to Christ. That's the purpose of it. Christ is in the law. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. And he said the purpose of the law is to be a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. Now how in the world does the law do that? Because a part of the aspect that he gave it to us was to reveal our sin and to show us our shortcoming and to, and to reveal the wickedness of us. So the law lead us and it's a schoolmaster to teach us about Christ because once we see law and we see ourselves in relation to it, immediately what you see is your inability to be what it is that God told you to be. And I understand what I'm saying. So when I read, thou shalt not covet. And I understand that no matter how hard I strain my mind to try not to covet, covetousness just pop up in me. That's the law instructing me and showing me my weakness, my infirmity. And the purpose of it is to push me or propel me towards Christ. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So even when we read the quote unquote New Testament laws and you see stuff like you're supposed to bless those who despitefully use you, you pray for them. That's that's a bit hard. Like the, it ain't just said people who use you, it's said people who despitefully use you. Like their whole purpose for for being around you is to use you, and they do it because they don't like you. That deep. It's like for them people, you don't get mad at them. You pray for them, and you love them just like you love everybody else. That's a law. That's a command. And if we be honest with ourselves and we see that anger stir up in us, you're like, man, my mama told me. Sure. <laughs> I ain't gonna be no doormat. <laughs> yeah, like, just let people walk all over me. I'm saying that they show you that there's something in your heart that can't fulfill this command. Because you're supposed to be able to respond to them the same way you respond to the people who treat you nicely. But it's something inside of you can't do that. So what that's supposed to mean to you? Does that mean you grit your teeth? And you say for the next seven days, I'm just going to smile. And anytime anybody say anything to me crazy, I'm just going to say God bless you. Like that going to work up some love in you. No, that's foolishness and hypocrisy. Substitute cuss words don't change your heart. <laughs> <laughs> your heart is still the customer. <laughs> so just because you figured out another way to, to, to not make people respond to you the same way, that don't mean you fulfilling the law, the royal law, as they refer to it in the scripture. Whether it's to love your neighbor as yourself. Because the people who treat you nice, you don't want to cuss them out. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So we let that law be there. And we let it do it work. What it's supposed to do is push us towards Jesus. Not give us ideas to grit our teeth. And every time anybody won't tell you how to produce joy in your life, 
and you just say positive things all the time, turn that TV off. Because they're trying to manipulate a way to produce what the Holy Spirit said he can give you. So by having 30 days of positive confessions does not produce joy. Walk around and waving to everybody you see. God bless you. God bless you. I'm saying you coming up with that conclusion like that going to make you some more of a, of a peaceful and happy person. That ain't what the scripture teach. Because you're trying to fulfill a law in your own self and in your own flesh and you seeking to get what God has promised you in your own nature. And if you do that, you frustrate the grace of God. So your church person ain't going to tell you that. They're just going to tell you that you, if you refuse to eat ham hock and put pepperoni on your pizza. I'm saying you're trying to justify yourself before God. But when you listen to the preacher who tells you you're supposed to smile for the next 30 days every time you see somebody or wave at everybody you see and make positive confessions and everything, they're doing the same thing them folks on the street with them bean pie telling you you the true Israel doing. They're trying to some way muster up something that put them in a right relationship with God instead of allowing the law to do his real job and that's to drive you towards Jesus. So we don't go to positive confession. We go to Christ. We don't go to try to build effective habits that that, that, that produce in me the right way to relate to people. Every time somebody do me wrong, I'm going to say, God bless you. And, and, And I'm just going to build that habit in my life. And if I do it for 30 days, a habit becomes a way of lifestyle. And a habit does not change your heart. And you might say, God bless you on the outside. But then when you get in your car, (laughs) you'll be like, man, I can't stand these folk up in here. God bless you. God God bless you. And you become cynical. And you can't obey what Paul told you when he said, let love be without dissimulation. Don't let your love be fake. I'd rather you just tell me, bro, I don't like you. Right, get out my face right now. Tell me that. Then to be saying, God bless you. <laughs> As a substitute for cussing me out. <laughs> you all understand what I'm saying? So allow that law to do its work and push you towards Jesus. Go to Romans chapter 10. I told y'all I was going to hurry up and finish. I'm, I'm done. Romans chapter 10. Somebody in here been listening to some preacher who got them trying to do some positive confession. <laughs> Man, no, I'll take that back. This is for the internet audience. <laughs> Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire in prayer to God is for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and are going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. See, Paul keep doing this. They being ignorant of God's righteousness, have tried to establish their own righteousness and not submitting themselves to the righteousness of God. So Paul keep bringing up this thing of righteousness when it comes to the knowledge of God. And when it comes to these people's relationship to the law, 
Like they got a zeal towards God, but not according to knowledge. Why? Because they're trying to establish their own righteousness. What they were doing, Paul? They just trying to obey the commands. And so in Paul's mind, there's a connection between righteous living and Jesus. And you'd be like, yeah, it is. Because God see you as righteous once you in Jesus. But that ain't what Paul's saying. Jesus did the same thing when we started. We're going to pick up on that one. He said, you go, if you break these commands and you teach other people to break them, you lease. If you obey these commands and you teach other people to do them, you're greatest in the kingdom of God. Because your righteousness have to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Like Jesus, right? We ain't not justified by the law. Why are you talking about obeying and then you bring up righteousness? Because righteousness goes beyond just our standing with God. It has something to do with the way that we live. So when the deep theologians tell you righteousness means just your justification before God. It's just as if you never sinned. And God sees you that way. I don't see how they get that. That's a definition that they made up and put into the book. Not one that they get from the book, but that's a whole nother conversation too. Y'all supposed to let me hurry up and be finished. Verse 4. Why? Because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. For Moses described the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of spake faith speaking on this why say not in thy heart who shall ascend into heaven that is to bring christ down from above or who shall descend into the deep that is to bring up christ again from the dead but what saith it the word is nigh thee even in thy mouth in thy heart that is the word of faith which we preach that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the lord jesus and shall believe in thy heart that god raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation this is paul's statement saying christ is the end of the law to them that believe for righteousness so we ask the question how is it if the law is not for the righteous man that we supposed to know what to do and we're supposed to understand how to live right, he gives us a glimpse, and we're going to expound on it, that the end of the law, the whole purpose of the law, the whole teleos, the, the whole reason it was designed is Christ. That's the whole point of it. It all leads back to Christ, and Christ is the end of it. Christ is the purpose of it for righteousness to them that believe. They say, because what said the scripture? He quote Moses. Like, who going to go up? We don't need to be saying that because we ain't got to go up and get nothing. Who going to descend? We don't need to be saying that because we ain't got to go descend to get nothing. Said, But the word is nigh thee even in thy mouth. Because Christ is the end of it. And all we have to do is yield to that word that is in us. Believe it. Confess it. And it produces righteousness. So long as I got Christ, I have the entirety of what is in the law because the whole purpose of the law is Christ. It pushes me towards Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of it. Jesus in John 5 told him, say, you search the scriptures because you think in them you find life. But they be the thing that speak of me. So what he's saying is when you searching them scriptures, don't be looking for nothing that going to give you life. Look for me. Because he is the resurrection in the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's nothing that you need that can be found in any other thing but him. So when we're going back and we're trying to be deep, thinking that we're going to gain some type of special understanding or some type of special relationship with God because we do these certain things and these things take away, away from Christ, we misunderstand that. 
And we can say that to them dudes on the street who stopping you and tell you, black man, you the true Israel, that they got a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Because if they truly know when they look in there, they only see Christ. So anytime you can't look in them five books of Moses and find Christ, they let me know you don't know God. Because that's the whole point of it. Anytime you reach a conclusion that puts you anywhere apart from Christ, then let me know you don't know God. Because that's the whole point of it. And don't allow our minds to be deluded in looking into any other thing to try to be deep. And that goes to the deep folks too. I'm saying y'all listen to them deep folks that tell you, I'm saying, to pray for angelic visitation. That ain't Jesus. Them deep folks who, who send you out through an experience and you're sitting and you're praying and you just want to experience the atmosphere of Jesus. And, and we want to see gold dust and clouds and all that foolishness. If that's what you're looking for, run away from them people because they're doing the same thing them deep dudes on the corner doing. All of them trying to take you away from Jesus. So when folk get to coming to you and explaining stuff to you that deep, that put you on another level, you stop and say, hey man, what Jesus at in this? <laughs> <laughs> let me get Jesus because if I got Jesus I got the whole law if I got Jesus I got all the scriptures if I understand Jesus I know God I don't need to see no angel I don't need to experience no goosebump. I don't need to go on no deep sabbaticals and just you know what I'm saying you have to tear it before the Lord I don't need that all I need is Jesus and Jesus ain't up there for me to run towards him and, and, and to figure out some grand way to get him. He ain't down and distant away from me. Jesus is right here in my heart. So that's why I can just confess with my mouth and believe in my heart the Lord Jesus and I'm going to be saved. And the end of my life going to be righteousness. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? The law can't justify you. It don't put you no closer to Jesus. I mean, it don't put you no closer to God. And the law is deeper than just some rules and regulations. There's a prophetic aspect to it. And if we got love, we do everything the law contains. And the only way we get love is to get who? Jesus. And so if I got Jesus, I got everything I need. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So don't be arguing with no dudes about ham sandwiches and whether or not you can get a half cut or not. We try and take my boy Bill and that boy cut half. <laughs> Shoo. <laughs> I'm saying, oh man, my boy, man, I, I can't cut your hair, car. <laughs> Shoot, I'm be making you disobey God. <laughs> I can cut it down, but I just ain't gonna give you no line up. <laughs> that sounds crazy, huh? But if you listen to them deep, dude, that's what you're gonna be doing. Like, hey, black man, I need to holler at you. He's like, man, do I need to stop being a barber? <laughs> what you talking about I'm just saying cuz I'm saying I just want to obey God <laughs> now dude if you got Jesus you got it all now the choice for us to figure out how Jesus worked with all that other stuff now how in the world he instruct us in righteousness without us having to look at the book are y'all with me and that's something we're going to have to figure out anybody got any questions